From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Wade Menezes. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. Hey, tremendous Tuesday to each and every one of you. Thank you so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line. Where in the world is Father Wade Menezes? We'll find out in just a minute. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, your number is 1-205-271-2985. And we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 1-205-271-2985. Two nine eight five, and you can always send us an email. That email address is openline at ewtn.com. I'm Jack Williams. Michael McCall spinning the dials, producing the program. Your call screener is Matt Gubensky, and Jeff Burson handling our social media efforts. Uh, if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window, and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our host is he is every Tuesday, Father Wade Menezes. Where in the world are you? You know, Jack, I got to tell you that Pennsylvania just keeps calling me back. You know, <laughs> I was here a few weeks back with your lovely bride, Jonette. She and I uh, kind of co-tag teamed on giving a, a retreat to married couples. Filled as you in know. for me, right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and uh, so this week I'm back. This time, not Malvern, Pennsylvania, at that wonderful retreat center where Johnette and I were a few weeks back, but this time in Mechanicsburg. So a shout out to all the parishioners of St. Joseph Parish here in Mechanicsburg, PA, including my nephew Daniel Menezes, who was just hired on staff as the Youth and Evangelization Coordinator. So a shout out to Daniel and his lovely wife, Nicole, who works at one of the two local high schools here as a theology instructor, teacher for the freshmen. So a shout out to Nicole as well. And uh, also to Father Tom Rosman, the pastor here, and his associate, uh, Father Ken Roth. And also some great staff members here that have been so, so helpful to me, uh, David and Brenda and Justin and others. So just a, a shout out to all the, the staff here at St. Joseph Parish in Mechanicsburg. And, and it's a five-night parish mission, Sunday through Thursday of this week. And we've averaged, if you count the online tune-ins uh, and the in-person together, Jack, we've averaged 843 people a night. Uh, so far the first two nights. Tonight, Tuesday, is night number three. I'm given my new Eucharistic series in honor of the three-year Eucharistic revival titled The Most Holy Eucharist Gift and Sacrament. Tonight's talk, number three, is titled The Church Fathers on Eucharistic Doctrine. Night number two, last night, was Eucharistic Miracles, and night number one on Sunday was the Eucharist as foreshadowed in both the Old and New Testament. So I just want to give a shout-out to all the parishioners who have tuned in, who have come in person, for the 7 p.m. mission, we hope to have another great crowd tonight. So I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit disappointed to see you in that same old outfit, quite frankly, because I thought maybe, <laughs> I thought maybe today you might have worn your Fatima blue. No, no, but you know what? I do have blue on my badge here, the Fathers of Mercy badge, there right? There you go. It's pretty close and to Fatima blue, too, just a little too dark, but it's pretty darn close. There you go. There you go. And I do uh, want to talk about Our Lady of Fatima 
uh, this week, Jack, as we progress through this wonderful month of October, the month of the rosary. Of course, uh, last week was the Luminous Mysteries, as we were close to October 7th last week. Uh, I want to talk about the five Luminous Mysteries. This week, I want to talk about the prophecies of Our Lady of Fatima, which are ever so important. You know, according to the document issued by the Vatican's Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, uh, titled The Message of Fatima, which came out during the Jubilee Year 2000 on June 26, we read these words, quote, Fatima is undoubtedly the most prophetic of modern apparitions of the Blessed Virgin that have been approved by the Church. Our Lady made it clear at Fatima, Jack, to the three shepherd children, that the root of all the world's problems is sin. Therefore, her message at Fatima, Portugal, to the three shepherd children in 1917 included themes of conversion, penance, reparation, prayer and repentance, sacrifice and a turning away from sin, that is, of personal renunciation of sin. She exhorted Christians the world over to pray daily and offer sacrifice to God in reparation for sin in order that peace may come upon the world and that great worldly sufferings and trials may be averted. And might I add, Jack, that the turmoil right now taking place in the Holy Land, uh, that war broke out on October 7th, uh, a week ago, Saturday, on the feast day of Our Lady of the Rosary. So her message, remember, she identified herself as Our Lady of the Rosary, the Lady of the Rosary, at Fatima to the three shepherd children. And so her message is just as timely today as it always has been, huh? Basically, the message of Fatima is a call to personal conversion of heart and amendment of life. And through that, social conversion as well, and that can't be forgotten. Uh, some of the more prophetic parts specifically of the apparitions given to the three shepherd children at Fatima include the following. A frightening vision of hell to encourage Jacintha, Francisco, and Lucia to pray and make frequent sacrifice for sinners, especially those who have no one to pray for them, Our Lady told the children. To counteract the great evil in the world, and Our Lady of Fatima uh, requested uh, five main things, which I'll get to in a moment after I comb through these prophecies. Uh, the second prophecy uh, was, get this, uh, an end of World War I, which, would, uh, which was then in progress, and the coming of World War II, which would feature some of the most horrific and powerful forms of warfare that the world had ever known. Uh, clearly, during World War II, there was more widespread murder of citizens at the hands of their own evil totalitarian communist and socialist governments and more martyrs for the Christian faith in the 20th century than in all previous centuries combined. It is estimated that some 70 million people died during World War II alone. Uh, thirdly, there was also a warning that if our Blessed Mother's call to prayer and penance for sin were not heeded, there would be great suffering in the world. Also that the Holy Father, the successor of Peter, would have much to suffer. There was also a prediction of the immense damage that Russia would do to humanity by abandoning the Christian faith and embracing communist totalitarianism. Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI says that the message of Fatima, Jack, is still relevant for a world still caught in, quote, a cycle of death and terror, end quote. Indeed, a veritable culture of death. He says uh, we would be mistaken to think that Fatima's prophetic mission is complete. It is not. Humanity has succeeded in unleashing a cycle of death and terror, but has failed in bringing it to an end. So to counteract the great evil in the world then, Our Lady of Fatima requested the following five points. Number one, 
personal amendment of life, huh? a turning away from sin. I like to call it CPR as a simple acronym, right? Uh, conversion, penance, and reparation. Uh, secondly, the need to make acts of reparation per se, that is to pray and make small sacrifices daily for sinners, Again, especially for those sinners, she told the children again and again, who have no one to pray for them. You know, those three shepherd children, now St. Jacinta, St. Francisco, and now venerable Sister Lucia, who lived many, many uh, decades following the, the apparitions of Fatima, the, the two younger siblings, cousins to Lucia, died soon after uh, the apparitions of Fatima within a couple of years. Uh, the shepherd children, Jack, were known to even give their water to the sheep, the water for themselves to drink in their canteens, uh, they, they would give to the sheep as a form of sacrifice to pray for sinners, especially those who have no one to pray for them. That's pretty heroic for a seven and a nine-year-old and 11-year-old, huh? Thirdly, the need to pray the rosary. And last week, Jack, if you'll recall, you asked me to share with our listeners the, the primary promises uh, of Our Lady to those who pray the rosary that were given to St. Dominic, huh? Uh, the need to pray the rosary, preferably the daily rosary with meditation on its mysteries of the life of Christ and our redemption through his paschal mystery recalled therein. Uh, fourthly, uh, the need to frequent the sacraments, especially those two sacraments that can be received over and over and over again, penance and Holy Eucharist, confession and Holy Eucharist. And then fifthly, uh, the need to practice devotion to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and to the Sacred Heart, it was mentioned as well. Uh, Father Apostoli, uh, God rest his soul, CFR member, uh, Congregation of the Friars of the Renewal, brought this out in his book, Fatima for Today, that the Immaculate Heart of Mary devotion and the Sacred Heart devotion, who incidentally, Jack, the visionary of the Sacred Heart's feast day was yesterday, yesterday on yep. Uh, October 16th, St. Margaret Mary Alacoque. So we see all the puzzle pieces just falling into, into uh, a perfect place here. huh? So to practice devotion to the Immaculate Heart of Mary along with the Sacred Heart of Jesus, namely to consecrate oneself and one's family to the Sacred Heart of Jesus and the Immaculate Heart of Mary, and to practice the five first Saturdays devotion. So I want our listeners today live, those tuning in, uh, on Facebook or YouTube, have you been to Fatima, specifically that Marian shrine? If you have been to Fatima, give us a call. Give us a comment in the sidebar. Give a witness about the message of Our Lady Fatima. Have you had your home consecrated to the Sacred Heart of the Immaculate Heart of Mary or the Sacred Heart of Jesus? Give us a call and tell us about it. It's EWTN's Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade Menezes. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. I want to invite you to discover the beauty, truth, and goodness of the church with the EWTN online learning series. You can delve into the riches of the faith and grow, grow closer to our Lord with free videos and study guides. EWTN invites you to be still and sit with the Lord through In His Sandals, our online video reflections with EWTN chaplain, Father Joseph Mary Wolf. You can enroll in our courses today at learningseries.ewtn.com.
833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. First up today is Mark in New Orleans, Louisiana, listening on Catholic Community Radio. Mark, you're on with Father Wade Menezes. Hey, (laughs) y'all. Hey, Mark. Thanks for calling. Hey, Father Wade. I appreciate y'all so much. Oh, man, this journey that I've been with EWTN. My grandmother used to watch it and listen to it 25 years ago, and I, I'm grandma, I don't want to listen to that. Now I'm hooked. <laughs> I thought you were going to say your grandma listened to it 25 hours a day. That's how often she had the TV on. <laughs> oh, grandma, you don't know what you're talking about. Well, she's probably praying for me because it's working. I love it. I love it. It's a staple for my day. Thank you, thank you, thank Praise you. God, God bless y'all. All right, so here's, here's my deal. I'm a daily I'm in daily prayer, and, and I'm, I, I have quiet time before that. And so me and, me and Jesus, we're every day, every day. It's like, it's like my breath, okay? Um, I've been through a spiritual journey, and um, I'm, I'm, I'm getting to a good place. I, I felt uh, a move towards frequent confession. So I'm, I'm kind of committed to it, but I haven't gone back for my second confession because I'm not really sure about it. Could you give me your take on it? Sure. Uh, it is possible to go to weekly confession. It's usually resorted to in that regard if a person is struggling with a particular vice or a particular habitual sin that may not be mortal, but could easily become mortal. That's when weekly confession is especially sought out. Um, I am a huge advocate, Mark. You probably have heard me say this many times on on EWTN's Open Line Tuesday. I'm a huge advocate of monthly confession, like clockwork, uh, 12 times a year, once a month. And this be whether one be single, married, a consecrated priest, brother, sister, doctor, farmer, lawyer, uh, widow, widower, uh, retired grandparent, working grandparent, college student, university student, high school student, middle school student, even an elementary school student who's reached the age of reason around age seven, where they've made their first confession, their first reconciliation, and they've received their first communion. I am a huge advocate across the board for all states in life, for both males and females, regardless of their ages, regardless of their vocation in state life, to go to monthly confession. Why is that? Because the culture today, Mark, is just too challenging. It's just too challenging. Give you a, an example. I have seen marriages transformed once the spouses, the husband and wife, get serious about a monthly confession and they go together to confession. I don't mean literally together in the confessional. <laughs> I mean they go together and stand in line and one goes right after the other for monthly confession. I have seen marriages transformed, and that's just one example, Okay of the benefits of monthly confession. But for weekly, why you're asking, the stronger tradition is only if one is struggling with a particular uh, uh, vice or a particular habit that they want to get out of their life. We do see more often than weekly, we do see confession every two weeks, and that could be just for the extra graces of, of the devotional confession. Why do I say devotional confession? It simply means a confession where you're there when you don't have to be there. Uh, Remember, 
for mortal sin, confession remains the ordinary channel for the mortal sin to be forgiven. But show me a person who goes faithfully once a month, like clockwork, say in honor of the first Friday devotion to the Sacred Heart, or the first Saturday devotion to the Immaculate Heart, which I mentioned both of those beautiful, wonderful hearts of our Lord and Our Lady in, I, in our springboard topic today on, on the prophecies of Fatima. If they go to confession faithfully once a month, say on first Friday or first Saturday, chances are they won't have mortal sin to confess. Or if they go every two weeks faithfully, chances are they won't have mortal sin to confess. Why? It's precisely the practice of a frequent confession, whether monthly or every two weeks, it's precisely that practice mark that is per se keeping them away from mortal sin. And that's a beautiful thing. I would hope that a frequent confessee going to regular confession wouldn't have mortal sin to confess on a regular basis. And that's the beauty and glory of a monthly confession, huh? And so uh, I would strongly recommend going at least every two weeks to a month and not letting it go past a month. Mark, great question and a great witness question, especially when our springboard topic on the prophecies of Our Lady of Fatima, fully approved uh, Fatima apparition, has so much to do with conversion and repentance and personal renewal and a shunning and turning away from sin. Thank you so much, Mark. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Next up is Anne. She tried calling last week and didn't get through. She's in the great state of Colorado, listening on Catholic Radio Network. Anne, you are persistent, and I like that. You're on with Father Wade. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to get through this week. I decided I better call it in early. Um, Great. I love the rosary, and I really love the Luminous Mysteries, and I think I missed where you explained how the Luminous Mysteries match up to the sacraments. And I listen while I'm at work, and I must have been distracted. So remind me again how that happens, and then I have my real question is, how did we get to John Paul II's um, feast day on the 22nd of October? Okay, and I'm going to back up just a little bit before I answer your questions regarding our previous caller. Jack, one thing I meant to say to Mark from Louisiana is I talk about the benefits of a frequent confession in great deal in Chapter 3 of my five-chapter book titled Overcoming the Evil Within, uh, The Reality of Sin and the Transforming Power of God's Mercy, Overcoming the Evil Within. The Reality of Sin and the Transforming Power of God's Mercy. We're offering it this week in Mechanicsburg here at St. Joseph's, each night after the parish mission. Chapter 3 is devoted specifically alone to the benefits of a frequent confession and how to make a good frequent confession without scrupulosity, without laxity, you know, the two extremes of scrupulosity and laxity, but a good, solid, holy, reverent, monthly confession or every two-week confession. So, Mark, you might want to look at that, and I wanted to say that uh, because it was an important point to make, because I believe that chapter will help out a lot of individuals who have the same question that Mark did. And we celebrate uh, John Paul II's feast day, now saint, on October 22nd, uh, I believe because he was elected to the papacy on St. Margaret Mary Alacoque's feast day, October 16th of 1978. October 16th of 1978. So the saint's calendar of only 365 days a year, the church had to do what it did. Because he was the second longest reigning pope, October was important to try to place his feast day there. Uh, He died on Divine Mercy Sunday itself, but Divine Mercy Sunday every year floats, okay? 
uh, when I say he died on Divine Mercy Sunday, let me be clear, it was the liturgical day of Divine Mercy Sunday, because he had died on the Saturday evening, the night before Divine Mercy Sunday proper. In other words, he died Easter Saturday during the Easter octave. But after Vespers 1, for Divine Mercy Sunday had already been prayed. So he died on the liturgical day of Divine Mercy Sunday, but on the calendar day of Holy Saturday, the night before Divine Mercy Sunday. So because that's an annual feast, because that's a floating feast based on the lunar calendar, because it follows eight days after Easter Sunday, so Easter floats because of the lunar calendar, it wasn't really conducive to make his feast day uh, during the, the floating Easter calendar. It'd be hard to have a fixed date because Easter and Divine Mercy Sunday both float. So because he had the second longest reign in the, uh, as Pope in the 2,000-year history of the Church, 26-plus years, uh, the Church deemed it fitting, uh, Pope Francis deemed it fitting, to put him uh, in October, which was the month he was elected Pope. Again, his feast day is October 22nd of every year, but he was elected on October 16th of 1978. So that was the reasoning behind that. And Anne, if you could please ask the first question again, I would greatly appreciate it. Um, I think I heard you, but I listen at work, and I, I miss the sacraments that match up to the Luminous Mysteries, especially like the third and the fourth. Well, the Transfiguration is the fourth luminous mystery, and the institution of the Holy Eucharist is the fifth luminous mystery. So we celebrate the, the Feast of the Transfiguration every year uh, in August, on August 6th. Uh, and then, of course, the institution of the Holy Eucharist is Holy Thursday night of every year, which would float as well based on the sacred triduum, which is based on the lunar calendar, as Easter is. So those are the two liturgical feast days. But you're right, last week when I talked about the five luminous mystery, I went, mysteries, I went through all 20 mysteries of the rosary, the five joyful, the five luminous, the five sorrowful, and the five uh, glorious. And I pegged on the church's liturgical year where each mystery is celebrated. And, and if, if it doesn't have its own feast day, that particular mystery... Its gospel reading is at least found in the three-year Sunday cycle of readings or the two-year weekday cycle of readings. You're right about that. So thank you for another great question. But yeah, it would be the Transfiguration on August 6th and also the night of the arrest, Holy Thursday night, when our Lord instituted the Holy Eucharist at the Last Supper just before he was arrested. And Anne, if you'll go to EWTN.com slash radio and click on shows and go to Open Line Thursday, you can go back and check out the podcast from last week and uh, get the recounting of that, uh, of that uh, dissertation by Father Wade last week. 833-288-EWTN, that's our toll-free number. It is a free telephone call anywhere in North America, 833-288-3986. Father, you you didn't finish your springboard topic, and we've got like an extra minute here. Yeah, great. Uh, I wanted to say a few more points about it. Um, the, the springboard topic of the, of the prophecies of the fully approved Marian apparition of Our Lady of Fatima in, from 1917 in Portugal to the three shepherd children, two of whom are now saints and one venerable. You know, to counteract the great evil in the world, then Our Lady of Fatima requested the following. Um, conversion, penance, and reparation, CPR, I like to call it. Uh, the, these lead to an amendment of life, a turning away from sin, right? Special note here on the need to make acts of reparation, that is to pray and make small sacrifices daily for sinners. 
uh, especially those sinners, again, who have no one to pray for them. Our ladies stress that constantly to the, ch- to the children. Uh, the need to pray the rosary, preferably the daily rosary for world peace, with meditation on its mysteries of the life of Christ and our redemption through his paschal mystery. And there are, again, 20 mysteries of the rosary and 15 promises associated with the praying of the rosary, which we will cover. Uh, we covered last week. And then two more points that I'll get back to, Jack, when we come back from our break. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. It's Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. And uh, very quickly, before we head back to the callers, a couple more points on this uh, Our Lady of Fatima. Yeah, the need to frequent the sacraments, especially the sacraments of penance and Holy Eucharist, the only two sacraments that can be received both repetitiously and frequently. The other five cannot. In fact, of the other five, three can only be received once. That's it, because of the indelible mark or spiritual character they leave on the soul never to be erased. That's baptism, confirmation, and holy orders. The other two can be received again, true enough, but not with a lot of frequency. That would be matrimony. And uh, you can receive it again, like you and Johnette both did, Jack, uh, after mm-hmm. your prior spouses passed away. You both married again, but it wouldn't be with a lot of frequency. And also the anointing of the sick, or at least Johnette would get mad at you if it was with a lot of frequency. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, uh, the anointing of the sick we can receive whenever one begins to be in danger of death because of sickness or old age. And if one is in a persistent illness state, ongoingly, like cancer, one is an automatic candidate for the anointing of the sick once a month. That's why you'll see a lot of parasites offer an anointing Mass once a month, but the person should register with the parish that they are indeed a valid candidate for the monthly anointing because of a persistent illness state. But Eucharist and reconciliation, oh yeah, bring it, bring it, because these are the two sacraments of the seven that can be received over and over. And then to practice devotion to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, which I said earlier, is tied, of course, to the Sacred Heart of Jesus devotion, especially consecrating one's home. I'm hoping we can get some callers today who have had their home consecrated to both hearts of Jesus and Mary, and to practice the five first Saturdays devotion and honor the Immaculate Heart of Mary, and to place this devotion alongside one's personal devotion to the Most Sacred Heart of Jesus. By the way, I want to say this about devotion to the two hearts. If people go to uh, fathersofmercy.com and on the search bar at the homepage, after clicking on the magnifying glass in the upper right-hand corner, simply put in five first Saturday devotion or nine first Friday devotion, I have on my blog section at the Fathers of Mercy website the requirements each month to fulfill the first uh, Friday devotion, the nine, the nine first Fridays in honor of the Sacred Heart, and the five first Saturdays in honor of the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Uh, everything is right there on my two respective blogs regarding the two hearts. Again, fathersofmercy.com. The homepage comes up immediately in the upper right-hand corner. Click on the magnifying glass. The search bar then comes up, and simply type in nine first Fridays or five first Saturdays. Two beautiful, beautiful devotions. Jam-packed phone lines. We'll get through as many as we can here in the back half of the program. Next up is Colin, a first-time caller in New Orleans, Louisiana, listening on Catholic Community Radio. Colin, thanks so much for holding. Welcome to the program. Thank you all for having me. My question is on the Society of Pius V. Um, I'd like to understand their argument for their existence, and then obviously our teaching on it, and and their standing with us, and uh, maybe other options out there for a a normal Catholic. Thank you. 
Great. Well, the Society of St. Pius V, uh, Colin, uh, is a society of priests formed in 1983. They're based in Oyster Bay Cove, New York, here in the United States. The society broke away from the Society of St. Pius X over liturgical issues. That's how I've always understood it to be. Uh, the Society of Pius V regards the questions of the legitimacy of the present Catholic Church hierarchy and the possibility that the Holy See is is unoccupied, that is, state of vacantism, the, 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 the chair of Peter is empty, uh, they still consider that to be unresolved, and that the Society of Pius V itself lacks the authority to resolve the question. Uh, but it is practically set of vacantists, not technically from what I understand, but it can easily be considered to lean in that area. Uh, the Society is headed by one of its co-founders, um, and so they broke away from Pius X, uh, Benedict XVI, uh, during his papacy, and also Pope Francis, during his papacy, have extended the olive branch to Pius X society. I believe also even to the Pius V society, which is what your question is specifically about, but there has not been much headway uh, in regards to uh, either organization coming back into full communion with the Catholic Church. And so that's that's the basic uh, scenario there with both of those organizations. Uh, what's what's it take in regards to the latter part of your question to to be the faithful Catholic, to the good Catholic, to embrace all that sacred scripture, sacred tradition, the magisterium presents to us as being part of the sacred deposit of faith, so as to work out our salvation with the papacy that we know to be current and valid. And John Paul II, Benedict the Sixteenth. Um, Pi, uh, Francis I, uh, all uh, validly elected with a valid cardinalate at a valid conclave with a valid ballot uh, casting, okay? So, you know, by their fruits you shall know them, and one of, the, one of the bad fruits is a constant breaking away, and we see this even with Pius V breaking away from Pius X. So beyond that, I would urge you just to research online through uh, legitimate and valid Catholic websites that can give you a greater historicity, not only of Pius V, but also of Pius X, including the fact that both um, uh, Benedict XVI and Francis I have on several occasions, both popes, have on several occasions extended the olive branch to try to get them reunified with the chair of Peter and what, what, that, what that would take and even offering certain concessions. For example, uh, Francis conceded, he offered the concession that is, that, that uh, the Pius X priests can offer a valid absolution to someone who goes to them for confession. That's a great, great concession there, right? So that's a beautiful thing that Francis extended the olive branch on. So we pray, you know, uh, every February 22nd, we have the universal feast day of the chair of St. Peter, uh, where we pray for all Christians to be unified under the chair of Peter. And so that's what we pray for, not only with our uh, non-Christian brothers and sisters and our non-Catholic Protestant brothers and sisters, but also with the fallen away Catholics who have fallen into these different sects that question the legitimacy of the current papacy and the papacy before it, and even the papacy before it, John Paul II. And also, I, I want to close by saying John Paul II did his faithful part 
uh, to try to welcome back Pius X, because Pius V hadn't, ex- hadn't existed just yet in the early stages of Pius X. And so uh, John Paul II did his part to try to get the Lefevreite bishops back into union with Rome, and uh, unfortunately to no avail. And so we pray for that unification. Great question. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it, Colin. Next stop is Father Wade's home state of California. Martha is watching on the EWTN app today. Martha, you're on with Father Wade. Hi, Father Wade. Yes, my house has been blessed to the Sacred Heart and uh, and um, and Immaculate Heart. Yes, and um, but this is my question. My question is, my daughter and I are ha- are really trying to have a really good relationship close relationship, you know, after a horrible divorce, and she is going to get married now to a man from India who practices Hinduism, and she's become a fallen-away Catholic, and if I don't attend her wedding, it's going to throw us way back in our relationship endeavors, okay. so- and I don't know what to do. So, Martha, the, the great thing is that the Catholic Church permits what's called a disparity of cult marriage, where one is a Christian baptized, in your daughter's case, a, a Catholic, she's a baptized Catholic, and a non-Christian. They can marry. Hopefully they'll have their ducks in a row and how they're going to raise the children and how the faith is going to be lived and practiced in such a disparity of cult home. But the good news is, your daughter can marry a Hindu. The Catholic Church would permit that, okay, under certain conditions. So the problem here, I want you to understand this, Martha, um, and I'm sure you do by the way you phrase the question. The problem is not that your daughter is marrying a Hindu. That is not the problem per se. The problem per se is that your daughter, as a baptized Catholic Christian fallen away, is not going to have the proper canonical form of marriage to this Hindu man. And so at the end of the day, because they're marrying outside the Catholic Church, at the end of the day, their marriage will not be valid in the Catholic Church's eyes when it could be valid in the Catholic Church's eyes. So the, the problem doesn't lie with your future son-in-law and his faith. Your, the problem lies with your daughter, who's fallen away. She's not conceding that she needs proper canonical form, meaning the Catholic Church's permission to marry a disparity of cult uh, person, in this case a Hindu, a, a non-Christian person who's a Hindu. Same would, same would be with a, a Muslim. A Catholic marrying a Muslim would also be a disparity of cult marriage. So at the end of the day, when she doesn't have proper canonical form, what happens when they get into bed at night and practice the conjugal embrace? It's not a valid sacrament. It's, it's not, it, well, it wouldn't be a sacrament anyway with the disparity of cold. It would be a valid marriage in the church, but it would be non-sacramental. But the fact is, it would have the church's blessing. She's not going to have that. And so if he's never been married before and she's never been married before, there, it will be the sin of fornication. If he's been married before and or she's been married before without the benefit of an annulment, it would be a species of adultery. It would be an act of adultery because we have to presume that the prior marriages are still valid and still an, until an annulment is, being, is able to be proven on the prior marriage. And everyone has a right to seek an annulment if they believe their marriage was never valid to begin with. So I am a loyal son of the church, okay? Am I saying you cut your daughter off? No, not at all. And your daughter shouldn't cut you off if you don't go to the wedding. 
your goal is to show your daughter that you want the best for her, and you want the marriage to be blessed in our Lord Jesus Christ's eyes and his bride, the church, who acts for his stead, or acts in his stead from his uh, Ascension Thursday, 40 days after he resurrected from the dead, until he comes again at his second coming, his bride acts in his stead, and we know his bride by her four marks, one holy Catholic and apostolic. I would have a very loving, very charitable conversation with your daughter as to why she's not seeking a dispensation for a valid disparity of cult wedding so that you and all the other practicing Catholic relatives of your daughter can go to the wedding and rejoice in it and celebrate with her. The ball lies in her court, not your court. It lies in her court. And you say, my daughter, I very much want to go to your wedding. It's not that I don't want to go. I very much want to go. But I have to defer going until it will be considered valid in your faith of baptism's eyes. That's what you tell her. And you have a very loving conversation with her. You, you make it clear to her you're not amputating her. You love her, but you want the best for her. And you practice and love your Catholic faith, and you know what's required to get a soul into heaven. Not objective mortal sin, but rather living a life of grace and virtue. That's what you share with her, Martha. Great question. Thank you so much, Martha, and a wonderful uh, witness question. And you invite your daughter now to go back and listen to the podcast so that she can hear my explanation, if that will help you out at all. But the church is very clear on this, you know. So uh, that's what we want to do. We want to lead your daughter to the fullness of truth. God bless you now. We head next to the nation's capital. Jennifer is listening on Guadalupe Radio. Jennifer, you're on with Father Wade. Hi, Father. Thank you for your show. My question is in light of your statement on confession and going to monthly confession and how it will help keep us from mortal sin. I believe that. Um, I was thinking as you were saying that in terms of my own conversion and how to not abuse confession, do you have any tips for that, especially in light of something that was hurtful to all of us in the Church, which is the scandals by cardinals who, I, I guess, like you were saying, and bishops, and cardinals, cardinals, and bishops and priests, not just cardinals. So you're talking about the exactly. sexual scandals of the church, whether homosexual in nature, whether heterosexual in nature, whether financial in nature. Any scandal that involves a cleric is what you're asking, Jennifer. Am I correct about that? Yes, Father. Can you okay, great. Frame that so I can process sure. how I can be a faithful Catholic still and, and seek my own conversion and not allow myself Amen. to abuse uh, confession. Yeah. Amen. So remember the Church's teaching on the seven sacraments. The sacraments work ex opere operato, which is Latin for the phrase in English, they work by, in virtue of having been worked. In other words, the seven sacraments work in the soul and life of the individual who receive them by having been validly administered. In other words, the seven sacraments do not rely on the holiness of the minister who's administering them to the individual, but they rather rely on the proper disposition of the recipient and on the reality of having been properly, validly, and licitly administered by following the matter and form of each sacrament. They don't rely on the holiness of the minister. Let me give you an example. If, if the only Mass that I celebrated 
were the masses where I personally felt a spiritual high. It was just a beautiful, glorious spiritual day for me. I, I felt extra close to our Lord and Our Lady in my rosary. Out, felt extra close to Our Lord when I prayed the Divine Mercy Chaplet. And I was just on, it was one of those days where I was just on a real spiritual high. If those were the kinds of days, Jennifer, if those were the only kinds of days that my masses were valid, I probably wouldn't have many valid masses. So thank goodness, thank God, literally, thank God, that the administration of the Holy Eucharist at Mass to the faithful in the pews does not rely on the, the personal holiness or spiritual high of the minister. They rely rather on the, their validity of having been administered properly, and they rely on the proper dispositions of the recipient, okay? Not on the individual holiness of the minister. So you go to confession not because of priestly and clerical and cardinal scandals, clerical scandals. You go to confession, Jennifer, to get yourself back on track so that you can be the evangelizer that your baptism and your confirmation call you to be, sustained by regular Eucharist and regular reconciliation, so much so that whether you're married or single or a consecrated religious, and even so that if you're a valid candidate for the anointing of the sick, living this active sacramental life that the sacraments call you to and supporting your parish priest um, is how you are involved with the sacrament of holy orders. You support your parish priest um, by getting involved in the parish and being involved in, in a committee or two or, or three or four, whatever your state in life permits you to do. A single person who's an active parishioner can do more to parish than, say, the homeschooling mother of six can do who's enrolled in a certain parish. Uh, but we can all do something to support the priesthood if we're not in, in holy orders, okay? So supporting the priesthood, living your baptism, your confirmation, sustained by regular Eucharist and reconciliation, uh, even if you're a valid candidate for the anointing of the sick, whether you're single or, in, or married with the sacrament of matrimony, this is why you go to confession, to live what the church calls the active sacramental economy of the individual. We talk about the active sacramental economy of the church. It's meant not only for the church as an institution, but there's also the sacramental economy of the individual, meaning that the sacraments are feeding that individual with God's sanctifying grace. And none of that, Jennifer, relies on the personal holiness of the minister administering the sacrament. Even a deacon who administers baptism or a deacon who administers uh, the sacrament of matrimony, because remember, deacons can baptize and deacons can uh, celebrate the rite of matrimony. They can't celebrate a nuptial mass because they're not a priest, but they can celebrate the, the, nup the, the rite of matrimony and they can marry a couple. Even a deacon, whether he's a transitional deacon, single man into priesthood, or whether he's a permanent deacon who's married with children or married with no children or children out of the house, regardless, even a deacon's personal holiness does not affect the validity of that baptism or the validity of that matrimony that he carried out. And he, he is a cleric. He's, he's, a, he's a deacon. He falls under the diaconate. The priests fall under the presbyterate, and the bishops fall under the episcopate. Okay, so I would urge you to go to the universal catechism under the section on how the sacraments work. It's at the beginning of the section where each of the seven sacraments, Jennifer, are treated individually. At the beginning of that section, we learn that the seven sacraments work ex opere operato, a Latin phrase meaning they work 
in virtue of having been worked. Ex opere operato. In, they work, meaning they work their grace in the person's life and soul, in virtue of having been worked. A, a colloquial way of saying it would be the sacraments effect their grace in the person's life in virtue of having been validly administered by the cleric. That's what's important. And so you go to confession, because you asked, how do the cleric, how do I might look at my regular monthly confession or every two or three week confession in light of the priestly scandals? Well, confession doesn't rely on the priestly scandals, and thank God it doesn't, right? Uh, you go to confession for you. Now, you can offer reparation for disobedient priests, liberal priests, okay? Uh, you, can, you can offer reparation like Our Lady of Fatima teaches. You can offer your holy communions. You can have masses said for clerics, whether deacons, priests, or bishops, who are dissident, who have fallen into scandal, those who have not repented and those who have repented. Uh, you can offer reparation for them in your own works. You can offer uh, your holy communions for them. You can go see your parish secretary and have a triduum of masses said, meaning three, or seven masses, or 12 masses, however many you want to have said, for all priests, deacons, uh, and bishops for who have fallen away from their vows. Or how about having 12 masses said for all faithful deacons, priests, and bishops who have always been faithful to their vocation? That's what's important. That's how you live your baptism, your confirmation, your matrimony, your singlehood, sustained by regular Eucharist and regular confession. Uh, that's how we live this active sacramental economy and become the evangelizers we're called to become. Great question, Jennifer. Thank you so much for calling. We really uh, appreciate it. You know, one of uh, Father Wade's 15 exercises to help you uh, to help your spiritual life is a daily recitation of the Divine Mercy Chaplet, and we can help you with that here at EWTN Radio. You can join Catholics around the world as we recall in prayer the devotion of St. Faustina to our Lord. That is every day, Monday through Friday, 5 a.m. Eastern Time, right here on EWTN Radio. Next up is Maria in the great state of Colorado, listening on Catholic Radio Network. Maria, you're on with Father Wade. Hello, Father Wade. I have a quick question. How do you answer somebody who doesn't want to pray the luminous mystery? Oh, Ma uh, Maria, what a great question. First of all, you want them to listen to the podcast of last week, right? Uh, what was that, Jack? The, uh, the 8th, October 8th, I think, um, last Tuesday, because I talk about this very thing. The not, you uh, have the ultra-right of center in the Catholic Church, like some of the pious the Tenthers, but like some of the pious the Fifthers that we talked about a few callers ago, but not just them, also Catholics in union with Rome. Uh, who don't want anything to do with the Luminous Mysteries. You have them listen to last week's podcast of Open Line Tuesday, and you invite them to read the document I talked about last week, Rosarium Virginis Mariae. See, they don't want the Luminous Mysteries because they think John Paul II, who promulgated the Luminous Mysteries, they think John Paul II changed, quote-unquote, changed the rosary. How dare he change the rosary? No, he expanded the rosary. He would have changed the rosary if he would have gotten rid of the joyful, the glorious, or the sorrowful. He did not do that. He only added to them, okay? He added a, a new set, a fourth set called the Luminous. And the reason why he did that, Maria, if I don't know if you heard last week's show or not, I would urge you to listen to it to become a better catechist to be able to talk to such people, as you mentioned in your question, who don't want anything to do with the Luminous Mysteries. Um, 
in Rosarium Virginis Mariae from October 2002 to, to October 2003, which declared that year the year of the rosary, John Paul II in that document gives us the luminous mysteries, and he tells us exactly why he's expanding the rosary with them, is because as beautiful as the joyful, the sorrowful, and the glorious mysteries are, none of those 15, none of them, have to do with Christ's three years of public life and ministry when he was preaching. None of them have to do with his public life and ministry of his speaking the words in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if we are to be effective evangelizers in the third millennium, now he issued this document, Rosarium Virginis Mariae, the Rosary of the Virgin Mary is the English title, in October 2002. It can be found at the Vatican website, online. They can print it out on their home printer. won't cost them a dime except for their ink and their paper. It proclaimed the year of the rosary, number one, October 02 through October 03. Number two, it gave us the luminous mysteries. As beautiful as the other 15 mysteries are, John Paul II says, Saint John Paul II says, I might add, none of them have to do with Christ's three years of public life. But the luminous mysteries all have to do with Christ's three years of public life. His baptism in the Jordan, when he didn't have to submit himself to baptism, but he did so to be an example to all of us. Uh, The self-manifestation of his divinity at the wedding feast of Cana, at the behest of his mother, do whatever he tells you, she tells the wine stewards. Number three, the proclamation of the kingdom of God and the call to conversion of hearts, which is often depicted as the Sermon on the Mount. Number four, the transfiguration, which we talked about at the beginning of this hour with one of our first callers, okay, Uh, celebrated every year on August 6th. And the institution of the Holy Eucharist on the night of the arrest, Holy Thursday night. How can you argue that you don't want the institution of the Holy Eucharist mentioned in the rosary as a mystery when our Blessed Mother herself in, in Scripture tells the wine stewards, do whatever he tells you. So you would tell such people, Maria, to read the October 2002 document, Rosarium Virginis Mariae, and you would have them listen to last week's podcast of Open Line Tuesday. Father Wade, would you leave us with a blessing? I certainly will, Jack. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit descend upon all of our Open Line Tuesday listeners and remain with each and one, each and every one of you this day and always. And tune in to St. Joseph's Parish uh, website, Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania, to watch the third talk of the parish mission live tonight. On behalf of our host, Father Wade Menezes, our producer, Michael McCall, call screener, Matt Gubensky, and our social media maven, Mr. Jeff Burson, I'm Jack Williams. Back at it tomorrow. Until then, God bless.